Oh man, so this one is, look, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, I don't even need you to be here because this conversation is 100% for myself. <laughs> I am going to be so selfish on this. And it's it's rightfully so. So Nia's been uh, a guiding light for me. He's been a mentor of mine. He's been a friend of mine. And it's I've been trying to like pull him away from his beautiful home and area in San Diego to just come out to one of our events and get it. But the closest I can get is his living room with you and my co-host, Joshua. <laughs> This is the agency algorithm. Nee, how are you, brother? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, man. Yeah. Yeah. Got no complaints. Unfortunately, I have one complaint. It has been like, okay. you're in Southern California. I'm in Southern California. This weather is ridiculous, man. Like, this is not why we pay California taxes to deal with like cold weather <laughs> no. and overcast skies. Where's the 70 degrees at, man? It's crazy. Little, we always joke about this. You got to pay the California tax to kind of enjoy living or, or it can justify living here. But when it's not sunny and it's cloudy, you're like, this. I don't need to be here. Why am I exactly, here? Exactly. Exactly. I want the first pull fight to Nashville. <laughs> exactly. Josh is in Nashville. Josh is like, I don't know why you guys are paying those, oh, those this guys. This guy's a genius. It's freezing here right now. This guy's a genius. You're not paying taxes, though. That's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That no state income tax, yep. it comes in handy. Yep. This also, another cool thing is, me was the first, the is our first kind of, I don't want to say forward because I know, I know you're rolling. I'll let you explain some of that too. But on the Amazon side, he was one of the he's one of the earliest people we've talked about on the agency algorithm coming from the agency, uh, the Amazon background, and eventually, kind of getting rolled up and then doing it again. So a lot of this conversation today, as I was I was saying earlier, is a little bit selfish because I'm trying to learn what he's looking at as he's acquiring as he just closed on, which is a fantastic conversation kickoff right there. But I want you to take us back to kind of like that one mil EBITDA, two mil, maybe five mil EBITDA range when you were actually in building the agency uh -huh. back in the day a little bit. I'm not trying to date you, but man, that was that was a grind ago, huh? That was that was a while. So just for some background, we started our agency CPC strategy back in 2007. I would say, you know, it was me and three other co-founders. At that point in time, I was 23 when we got started. The first three years, oh, we man. were just trying to hang out with each other, right? Just hang out, have a good time, make some money, keep the lights on, enjoy life in Southern California. I would say 2010, 2011 is when we started to get serious. And by the time we crossed a million dollars in it, but I, I want to say I was 2014, 2015 or so. And at that point in time, we really got product market fit in our core service, which was Google shopping and feed management. And we were just launching and scaling our Amazon business. And so at that point in time, got it. it was just, just right when Amazon moved into PPC, uh, and it was difficult because like, you know, I know Nick, you've been on the forefront of social. When you're like at the bleeding edge of innovation, you're not going out to the market and hiring team members that understand what to do. You're learning with them. You're, you're in training. the trenches with them. You're training and learning and testing. And you have to be that guiding light for your clients. And that was definitely the challenge back in 2015 with Amazon marketing. There was nowhere else to go. I mean, maybe it was, it was the amazing seller who was trying to get people to sell things out their garage. But in terms of true agency services for an agency providing services to, to companies that are looking to sell on Amazon, both Amazon native brands as well as traditional brands, we were like one of the only games in town. And we had to learn a lot about how to leverage that algorithm and how to leverage that platform to be able to drive sales for our clients. But we learned, we learned and we scaled. Well, what's crazy is like, it's so important to understand your core offer. And even as us right now, like we're, and I think this is important for a lot of the agencies, especially now, Ricky, we're coming off of the pandemic where a lot of people were rushing online and a lot of agencies saw growth and booming. 
and they're like, wow, I, I, have, I'm, I can sell them everything. Well, at, early on, same with us, like you mentioned, we were paid social, dude. That's all we did all the time. And it only up until 2020 when we, we, we merged and acquired the, the email side, the Balance Labs, Chase, David, and Amelia. Until that point, we were going, we were just doubling down on it. So what, at that point, what made you go, Amazon's new? Because look, I bet you had to do some convincing that this was something that you should actually hire out for or pay X dollars out of house on. How, what made you know you needed offer number two? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And so for us, you know, I would say it was back in 2012 or so where we started to pay close attention to Amazon. And the reason why we were paying close okay. attention to Amazon was that, you know, we looked at our own behavior as consumers and I wasn't buying products from Macy's.com or Footlocker.com. My partners weren't buying products from those websites. They weren't, our, our team members weren't buying products from those websites. Yeah. Everybody was going to Amazon.com. And so we asked ourselves the question, where's the puck going? If we as consumers are buying products from Amazon as a, as, as, as a retail destination, it probably means that we should be working with more brands to try to figure out how to help them sell on this platform, which today doesn't seem like rocket science, but back then nobody was asking themselves that, that same question. Now, this is fair, where fair. many people don't know, unless you worked with me back in the past, we failed the first time because at that point in time, our client base was a lot of resellers, right? So these were companies that would mm. buy products wholesale from a bunch of different manufacturers, sell them on their website, and then, you know, obviously sell them on to consumers. And that was like our core business for dot-com businesses because our business was comparison shopping. So we'd work with a bunch of different brands that were re resellers that, you know, bought wholesale and sold retail. And that model has completely disappeared. But at that time in 2012, it wasn't clear that that model wasn't going to be sustainable. So the first Amazon business that we built wasn't a service business or an agency. It was a technology. And that technology, the intent of that technology was to take somebody's inventory from their Shopify or Magento website from back in the day and duplicate it on Amazon.com. There's a lot of reasons why that product failed. One of them, I'm, I'm kind of happy it failed because obviously that space has kind of gone away. But secondly, you know, we put a lot of pressure on the developers that we had at that point in time without the right kind of resources around them. And so we were able to scale multiple clients up to a million dollars a month in revenue because they're, you know, back then you put products on Amazon, they just sold. There was like no bidding, no, no, it would just, things just went, but our technology couldn't scale. So we were literally having like our technology break with these data feeds going to amazon.com. And so we decided to shelf that product. And so when we took the second bite at the apple, two things happened. One is we just still looked at our own behavior as consumers and said, hey, we're still buying product from Amazon.com. That wave isn't changing. But the second yeah. thing is we started to see that shift away from that reseller model to the more manufacturer model, which is a model that we see on Amazon today. And then because we had our eyes open, and I like to say that luck is a, comp a combination between preparation and opportunity, we had a, a cold outreach from a random person, he was random back then, but not random anymore, Pat Petriello, who had worked at Amazon in Seattle in the past, and before that was a professional seller on Amazon, selling products on Amazon. He wanted to move from Seattle back to San Diego, so he reached out to a bunch of agencies, and we were one of those agencies, and he was like, hey, I have Amazon experience, I'm interested in, in talking about Amazon and seeing what we can do in terms of building a service around that space. And I see you guys are in the comparison shopping space. Would you be interested in the conversation? And I'm like, this is literally like 
the best case scenario. Here's somebody who had worked at Amazon, who had sold on the past, and he's asking me for a job. John. I'm like, yeah, we'll go ahead and have a conversation. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we, got a, we got a spot for you? <laughs> no way. Yep. Yep. So That's that was incredible. the start of kind of a decade-long relationship with, with Pat. He's been a fantastic member of CPC Ingenuity, and he was really the foundation of that Amazon business uh, back in the early, early 2010s. This is how I feel about what we just went through with our email side. Like Chase, best friend, Dallas Street for me. Hey man, uh, let's grow. What does it look like? And he came in and now we do more email than we do paid social. And that was not the plan. So I, it's crazy to, to hear the stories of, you got to be able to kind of shift it as soon as you see the opportunity. Because that was basically like, you're off to the races. That was rocket fuel for the org and the structure and the team that you already had built. So I, I had to jump in there. Sorry, Josh. I know you have some yeah. questions on that. I'm kind of curious, you know, we're talking about expanding services out of, you know, what you guys originally started, Shaq, uh, you being on, you know, more like the Facebook ad side. I'm yeah. curious, uh, and really a question probably for both of you, is there certain criteria that you guys look at when expanding services for your agency? Do you want to see a current service at a certain EBITDA before you expand? Is it more of like a partnership thing of we're looking to bring someone on that has that experience in order to expand that department? Is there a criteria you guys play by before you go and expand I, to another service? I have my thoughts, but Shaq, do you want to go first? No, this is for you, baby. This is all you. Come on. <laughs> okay, so so for for me, at least where I've been successful, because I've I've tried to expand in the past and I've failed. Like I think very few founders are right every single time. But where I'm, when I'm successful, it's when I'm thinking about my ideal customer profile and it's a problem that I know they have and I've been able to validate over and over and over again. And part of the reason why CPC, we moved eventually into social, but it was a pretty late move. We didn't really start our social practice in 2016, 2017, is because our clients weren't really asking for it at that point in time. And so, and if you think back at the history of social, like before 2015, social wasn't really a direct response type channel. Right. Unless you had nanigans, no, which branding. some people had, it was branding and likes and engagement and things like that. And our clients were coming to us for performance marketing. And so for us to move into social while I wanted to kind of intellectual, like we need to be there. I wasn't willing to bet on hiring three, four people to work full time in that space before we saw the validation and demand from, from our, from our customers. And so for me, it's having those conversations with clients, hearing what they're saying and then addressing that through a service that we want to launch. Like, I think a lot of founders, it's easy. Like, yeah. it's like entrepreneurs have that shiny object syndrome and it's very easy to move because you can do things, right? But for me, it's yep. always been a relentless focus on who's our client today and how do we serve them. So much to the fact that for the entire history of CPC, our focus was always retail clients. If you were a B2B customer, if you're a legion customer, if you're a lawyer, I wouldn't Stay have worked away. with you during what we were running CPC. And that was to, like, my team was pushing me, like, we should work, this is, this legion is easier than, than e-com. They were probably right. But I knew that if we focus on just one niche, there would be value on the other side. And that's always been the, the North Star for me. So good. I love that. Dude, this, this, I'm so happy to hear some of these things because especially when things get tough and people are willing to throw money at you, you're like, but this client is wanting to give me those dollars and I think I should take that. And I actually, I, I had a very interesting take and I'm, I'm great setup on this, Josh. I know you didn't plan that, but I wish you would have told me you planned this. 
sometimes scope creep is a negative. Sometimes if your client is telling you, hey, I would really want you to do CRO, I would really want you to do email, I would really want you to do XYZ, and you start getting enough of these questions, especially if you're doing your QBRs or especially you're doing your, your lookbacks and going like, wait, you guys are asking for all these areas. That might be a flag and go like, well, what are you willing to pay for this? Uh-huh. Cool. That might mean I get a contractor that fulfills, I now have a new service and we have cash. And we're actually literally going through this right now with our CRO service. We have an incredible lead named Danielle and she's trying to go through this and she's pitching the current clients because look, we already have the bed of people that should be able to take this stuff and we have a majority of the other services. Well, it's logical to increase contract size, which means increased stickiness, which means increase book of business and length, which is a very important thing as Nia have taught me over the years. It's not how much revenue you have in January of 2023. It's how much revenue you've maintained or increased from revenue or from January 2022 and January 2021. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge input that, that you gave me years ago on this area. And I go, even to this area, if you want to build it or buy it, and this is an interesting topic especially as Nia, I'm, I'm going to fast forward to, to where you are now today at Tenuity. Like, first, I want you to give a background on Tenuity because I think it's really important for people to understand that there's levels to this shit. And I think at the place that you're at and where you're going, you have to kind of give me the preface. So you ought to give me the corporate pitch on that for sure. <laughs> but you have to weigh within yourself. You have to weigh, am I going to build this myself and how much is this going to cost plus time? Or do I think if I can acquire this who has built in business, has the people that understand the industry and you and I both know how hard it is because we're usually trying to find similar talent. If they love the agency world and if they're able to contribute in the agency world, you want it. You want those people to stay and join your team because convincing someone to be at an agency person and continuing to grind, it's not easy. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, tell me when you went into to the tenuity site because CPC, and you, you don't have to get into the depth of the numbers or anything where you're going with that unless that's what you feel like sharing on this. But where you're at now is now you're, you get to have this very unique bird's eye view into what's happening in the current market and where agency should be thinking about talking about where the puck is going. Yeah. You're able to get to see where that puck goes. Yeah. So, I mean, we were able, so with CPC, it was four of us. We never took any outside funding, uh, continued to build that business organically from 2007 to 2018, focused on, you know, de developing and delivering media buying services for e-commerce and retail companies. 2018 is when we, you know, with the business, we'd been running the business for 11 years and we had the opportunity to connect with actually a partner of ours in the past. And so throwing it back, I know we're doing a lot of back and forth, but we had a partner, Elite FCM out of New York. We were based out of San Diego. Back in 2010, 2011, we we're both partners, meaning that they would do paid search marketing and we would do fee generating marketing or comparison shopping for them. 2012, that's when Google, if people who have gray hair like me, no, she's like me. That's when Google turned their Google shopping or frugal product into a paid product. And what that meant was that mm -hmm. any of that, anybody that was doing comparison shopping was now doing AdWords and anybody doing AdWords was now doing comparison shopping. So that partnership kind of came to an end because we got into each other's businesses, but we stayed friendly as kind of agency competitors, passing notes, understanding how the industry works because they had a different purview. But them being on the East Coast, them being in New York, they focus on landing big enterprise companies like Etsy and Jet and those kind of companies. Yeah, Us you're right. in San Diego, we're like, you know, again, like I said, you know, we looked at Amazon. We're like, hey, that that seems like a good boat to ride on. And so we we pushed our boat into the river of Amazon and we we're able to scale that way. And so by 2018, we reached about 160 employees all in our downtown San Diego office, had three floors downtown, Chase Building in San Diego. The lead SEM company that we had worked with as partners in the past, they raised some private equity money. 
And in 2017, they reached out to us to say, hey, let's do a deal. We're like, we're not going to deal with you. We're not going to be your guinea pig. But then they did two acquisitions that made us pay attention. First, they bought an email agency, Email Aptitude, which is an organization out of San Francisco in the Bay Area. And yep. then, then they bought Orion CKB, which at that time, they had a great relationship with Nanigans and was one of the leaders in terms of social buying. And so once we saw they were buying these agencies and not necessarily buying for scale, we're like, great, we have a great Amazon business. We have a great growth marketing business. Let's have a real conversation. And so we brought the companies together in 2018. Fortunately, the cultures were very similar, very aligned in terms of leadership and where we saw the industry going. And we rebranded as an organization to Tenuity in 2019. And so just to kind of a scale of what Tenuity is, we have about 750 or so clients, manage about $3 billion in media across everything from Google, Amazon, Facebook, streaming TV, linear TV, email, SEO, analytics, insights. Yeah, pretty much anything digital, creative, our company is going to touch, retail media. And so my job at Tenuity, the best way I think about my job is I'm focused on three things. One is partnerships, having conversations with potential tech partners, and obviously the Amazons, Googles, and Facebooks to understand where they're taking the product roadmap. The second area is product and data, both in terms of our internal product that we've developed, as well as data and understanding the future of data for our clients in our industry. And then lastly is corporate development or M&A, which is having great conversations like these, typically not recorded on a podcast, but with founders that are, I, I admire for their ability to kind of grow and grow a business from scratch. And so I've been doing that for the last five years. I've been able to, you know, take lead on three acquisitions and it's been, it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun, a great learning experience. And yeah, I get to talk to with entrepreneurs all the time and that gets my blood going because like, you know, if I wasn't yeah. doing this, I'd be starting something else from scratch, man. I'm, I'll, I'll do this until, until I die. Everyone's getting a little bit of a purview into, to what I'm so thankful for and what I'm so grateful for. The way that you were able to, to, to speak to that and just how calm and, and collective you are. This is, again, this is why I have a lot of love for you because you're very clear, you're honest, you're, you've done it, right? Like it's very, it, it's very interesting to have someone close enough to you to where you, when they say something, you take it very serious. And I, and I really do, especially when I have questions. I know I'd never waste a moment of conversation with you because I understand the impact and the, and the importance that you have in the current day-to-day -day life with your team, with your people and so I'm very grateful for, A, this timing. Um, there's so much to unpack in this area because where the acquisitions kind of begin to happen is, are you a platform company? Are they going to turn the lights off? Are they going to keep the lights on? When you were going through this process on those questions of, okay, so you're bringing us in because you want to keep this or bring us in because you want to scale this, how do they approach that when you're about to just you know sign it over? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, when we were going through our process in 2018, it was clear that they weren't buying for scale. And there are a lot of platforms out there that just go ahead, we're gonna buy every single social agency or every single email agency or every single affiliate agency. We, we see that a lot kind of in this space. And the fact yeah. that they were buying unique capabilities to create a more robust offering, um, which is a lot of what you guys are doing at Structured, that to us yeah. gave us confidence that this was an organization looking not just to buy EBITDA or buy scale, but to actually create a cohesive offering that would be able to be a, a partner in any digital marketer's arsenal. And that to us was key. 
it helped that we had known the guys for like six, seven years and we had keep kind of loose relationships with them. But seeing what happened with the other agencies that I bought before us is what gave us confidence that, hey, there's going to be runway for my team, my leaders, and if I want myself to move forward. Now, I mentioned to you, I have three founder, three other partners. None of them is actively in the yeah. business anymore. They're all retired. I'm the crazy one that just loves this stuff and is doing this stuff every day. So <laughs> like, um, that's something wrong with me. It's not because you know, we weren't happy with, the, they weren't happy with the outcome. It's so much to go into. I'm going to, we're going to take a break. We're going to hear something from some of our sponsors or supporters of this, but to be able to have consistent conversations like this, I have some great questions. Now shifting into what do I get wrong, right? What are the agencies that are looking like, Hey, I like a payday eventually, or I would love to be in a position to exit or move into a kind of a job, a job that you love potentially or retire. Like, there's all these different paths, but before that, we're going to hear, hear a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, I also want to tell you guys about uh, our other company called Constant Creative with two Ks. Um, and if you're looking for on-demand editing at any time all around the world at a rate that makes total sense, you guys can find us at constantcreative.com. And we are back. And this conversation has been one that I've been looking forward to for, again, quite a while. And uh, it's not often you get to go this deep with somebody that has so much initial experience, especially active doing it today. And so where, where we were about to jump into is I'm an agency, right? We're six and a half, seven years going now. We have done a couple acquisitions. We have all the services. We're profitable. Where am I needing to know to focus at so that when you have a, maybe a larger strategic, I'm not even going to talk about if it's private equity or VC, where do you look at if you're going to be a, a, an addition to a strategic? And then maybe what happens if you're the platform? What if you're the email aptitude teams looking to be potential the platform require? Talk to me about the first strategic as a bolt-on. Yeah, I mean, I think every strategic is different. I mean, that's why we call them strategics, right? Like every strategic is going to look yeah. at their own capabilities and assess where they want to go differently. And I can kind of say for us, you know, we want to look for agencies and potential partners that are truly at the bleeding edge of what they do, right? If it's something yeah. where we're looking at the potential partner and it looks like they do exactly what our team does and there's no differentiation. Like I said before, it's not in our ethos to just move for scale. Now, there are some strategics that do care about that, but for us, that's not going to be a good strategic driver in terms of what we look for. And so that's like just a strategic fit. The second piece is absolutely <laughs> the culture, right? We want to make sure we're not introducing a cultural element to our organization that's going to be detrimental to either our leadership or our teams, right? And so for us, you know, we pride ourselves on being people first and people for. We pride ourselves on meritocracy. Those are all things and traits and values that we look for in the organizations that we're looking to bring up part, as part of our platform. And then, and then lastly, in terms of intangibles, there's also understanding what that founder or leader wants to do, right? There's nothing wrong with a leader that says, hey, you know, I've done my job. I've done my tour of duty. I'm looking to hand this off to the next person to run. Nobody wants to turn around and have to install a leader themselves. And so if you're a founder or a leader that's looking to say, hey, I've done my tour of duty and now I want to go and travel the world and move to, to Greece or whatever, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Be upfront with that expectation, you know, number one. Okay. And then number two, make sure that you have a succession plan in place where there's already a leader that you've already kind of grown that's kind of owning the business and owning that kind of structure to ensure that, you know, as a buyer, that's not something that's going to jump off. 
And we've definitely seen deals mm -hmm. where it was clear, even if the founder didn't say it, that it was clear that the founder wasn't necessarily wanting to be engaged in the next chapter. And honestly, like those are opportunities that it causes us to kind of question, what are we really buying here, right? If we don't have a leader in place, yeah. what ability do we have to kind of drop somebody into a business that we haven't run for the last three to four years? That's going to be very, very challenging. Sure. So it's definitely a consideration as we think about the potential partners that we we bring up on our, our platform. I can talk about the quant side too, but the intangibles, that's what's important Let's from stay a here, size. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, how are you measuring some of those intangibles? Like how do you measure culture, right? I like mean- when you're going in to do some due diligence. Yeah, I think everybody has a love-hate relationship with Glassdoor. <laughs> but again, fair. Everybody has a love-hate relationship with Glassdoor, but those count, right? Um, you know, that's perception, right? Perception oftentimes is reality. Like if I'm going in and acquiring an, an organization with a 1.5 on glass door, I know I'm going to have a lot of rebuilding that I have to do in terms of trust and, and bringing up benefits. Uh, another thing is just understanding the level of benefits, right? You know, if I go into an organization, I see a particular organization hasn't really invested time in LND type efforts or good onboarding or good training, or I'm seeing churn okay. from their teams at 40, 50% yeah. year over year. Those are going to cause questions that we have to understand to do, do, through due diligence. Now, there are very rational reasons why an organization might have to turn over 50% of their staff, but I want to understand them and I want to understand why we're yeah. there. And if that doesn't mirror up with what we're kind of seeing on the outside or like, this industry is small. Like people's reputations do get around. Doesn't mirror up with what we've heard from our own kind of batch channels. Those are going to cause conflicts or maybe uh, differences in what an, an organization could be valued on. And so there's not like one metric that said, this is how I measure culture, or that there are definitely questions and data points that we can look at, at to understand kind of where the team is, how upwardly mobile that team and how engaged that team is behind the leader that's been, that has put the organization together. This to me has been something that we were looking at, not just on, like, we've, we've had conversations with early, you know, early we might acquire or not. And I found when I was looking at teams that were not stateside based, like European based or Australian based, even though they were great people, kind and everything, I felt like the culture never really matched how the American hustle, American rah, rah, rah happened. And even when we look at our team, we, we feel like a strategic advantage is we don't necessarily care if you're stateside or North America based. We're, we don't, if you perform, if you execute, you're on at the right times, we'll have you. Is that a, something that you've seen in the past? And even if you were to take the tenuity hat off, think, or more of like me as a business owner and operator, which you, you know you are, does cultural differences of where the team is currently based play a factor? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, with tenuity, we have had a credo of talent over geography, even before the pandemic. And so, okay, okay. but that was really for tenuity in the United States. I think post-pandemic, we've seen a great leveling of the world. There are talented people everywhere. And so at the end of the day, if you're working with the team cohesively with Slack, with Zoom, with various different tools, and people are kind of rallying behind, you know, being able to do the best for the organization, I don't see a reason why that should be a detriment. In fact, some, some buyers might see that as an advantage because it shows that you have the ability to recruit and train and provide a consistent level of service across borders, which is no easy task. And so from my perspective, that's a win if you're able to show that you can do it consistently over time. So one of the most recent ones you guys actually just went through an acquisition on was something you guys shared about was Ampush. You know, that's Jesse and, and Jesse and crew. What was so appealing to you 
and the Tenuity team when you guys went and did that deal because that that's fresh off the that's still on the stove, you know. Yeah, so Jesse and Kobe, they built a fantastic team. And a lot of the traits that I've mentioned in this conversation in terms of intangibles, having a strong leader, obviously Jesse hasn't as been actively in the day-to-day as frequently yeah. as, you know, as you know, some of us as, have as founders, but that was his choice. But it's not like he left the business alone without kind of a good steward at this end. John, who I was fortunate enough to make a, develop a relationship through the due diligence process, was a very strong leader that Jesse and co-put in place at the head of Ampush. And then as we met the team, as we met their leaders, as we understood kind of who Ampush was and what they stood for, we saw that quality team from senior positions down to entry-level positions and the focus on wow. really driving performance using levers that were differentiated, right? We have a social practice. We know how to buy social. But what we saw from Ampush is that they have extended what social could be from pre-click optimization to post-click optimization. And those are capabilities that from us, from Tenuity's perspective, we know bringing that to our clients is going to just be a value add for everybody involved, even for our divisions that aren't necessarily in that social place. So we're so we're super excited about wow. both of those teams coming together. Super happy to have John on board. Super happy to have Jesse kind of be uh, Tenuity adjacent and yeah, very excited about yeah. the integration process. I'm just in awe because you get to see these people from afar and, and it's good to know, especially because there's so much of this Oh, the market isn't hot like this. You miss your opportunity. You miss your window. There's always this narrative, right? Where people are believing, well, whatever we're in a recession or about to be in recession. And at the end of the day, good businesses are going to get by. Uh-huh. If, if, if you're a good business, and you're looking to sell, you're going to get by. So one question that I had that, that just kind of piqued my interest there is like, you guys seem to be adding in certain areas of your guys' agency that there might be gaps or there might be new innovations that you're bringing to the forefront of, of your agency. Is there anything currently on the radar? We're going to always be looking at opportunities, right? And the way I would answer that question is, I remember when iOS, when it wasn't even called iOS 14.5, it was called ATT, right? I remember when that was announced at the Apple Developer Conference back in 2020. And I texted Shaq and I'm like, look, this is going to change everything. Like, this is a big deal. Like, and people don't understand that. And we started to have, I started to have a running joke with, with Shaq around, like nobody could have predicted this. Cause I was calling this, like I'm on record. <laughs> you can look me up in practical e-commerce in October, 2020 saying, this is a big fucking deal. That phrase, that phrase he kept saying everywhere. It was literally everywhere. Sorry. Yeah. Go. No one could have predicted this, except we could have predicted this, right? If you think about how the web com- comes together, standards can and do change, right? And I'm fortunate enough to be in this space since 2006, 2007, where I've seen standards change, right? I saw Flash die. I saw Google turn off keywords, organic keywords, and in Google Analytics to not provide it. All these changes had dramatic impacts wow. on the way digital marketing works. And so when I think about the future and the areas that we're interested in, it's about thinking about the following fact. The web is constantly evolving. And anytime there's a major change, whether it's chat GPT or generative AI or any of these tools, there are going to be new winners and losers. And so my job as a chief strategy officer at Tenuity is to understand the underlying trends, see who's there in the marketplace and see who's been able to rise to the top and then work to kind of bring that capability onto our platform so we can bring those solutions to our, for, to our team mm-hmm. and to our clients. And then it's always like you have that battle between what can we do internally versus what we can do externally. But to Nick's point, if you have a team of people who are focused on solving one problem, and that's a problem that they're focused on, and they've been able to show that they've been able to drive commercial value to do that, 
why wouldn't I want to add that to my internal team so we can go faster and have a bigger impact on our clients in our industry? And so that's how we think about things. It's really what are the challenges that our clients are going to deal with, whether they're immediate, like signal loss or cookie deprecation, or kind of more on the horizon, and who are the players in the space that are actively engaging with those technologies or those solutions to be able to solve them? And so, yeah, that, that's kind of how we think about things. So good. I hate that we have to land this plane. This is my most frustrating thing because, because there's so there's so much more on the on the investing side. There's so much more on the tech and the data side that we didn't get into, which is a large part of what your job is of analyzing all the inbound. Like we we geek out on having access to a hundred brands or two hundred brands, and you're like, no, 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 we got seven hundred. And and anytime I try to bring somebody, you're like, dude, I'm talking about like reporting on connected TV, and it it, it kills me to know that there's so much more. Again, there's levels to this. For a lot of the other agency owners, maybe you're a C-suite, maybe you're a founder, maybe you are about to join an agency or not. What would you leave us with a little bit of advice of this industry of change or this industry of opportunity? What would be your your rally cry before we kind of signed off on this? Well, I mean, I think we've, we've said there's levels, so, but levels go both ways, right? There's scale and there's going deep. I've always found, mm-hmm. at least kind of, even in my angel investing, when somebody or an organization goes deep to solve a problem completely and thoroughly, there's tremendous value unlocked. And so I don't want everybody to leave this conversation thinking the only way to get scale is for me to have hundreds of clients. No, if you solve a problem completely and thoroughly and it's like you have that solve, that's powerful because that's what's unique and differentiated. And so, yeah, there are levels to these things and levels go up, levels go down and deep. And so I I think that's what I would leave the conversation with. Dang it. I can't, I can't, we have to call this, John. Josh, I'm so mad at this. But this I'm mad is, too, I mean, bro. I'm, we got to call this a uh, he's, he's we're coming back. We're going to have to do a part two. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I to out. That's what I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. We're going to get you. We're going to get you live. But but Nia, tell tell everybody where they can find you, man. You thank you for blessing us with your time. This is I'm very grateful for from a mentee and and just someone that's looked up you for many years. How do we get a hold of you if you need to? Hit me up on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Um, it's probably the first app I check in the morning. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's cool too. So yeah, those are the kind of the two platforms I'm, uh, I spend the most time on. Amazing. Well, thank you. And again, guys, if you've enjoyed this ch- conversation, enjoy this chat, all things agency and growth, you guys know where to find us. You guys got on Spotify, iTunes, all the other places. Thank you so much from Josh and myself, Shaq. I'll see you on the next one at Agency Algorithm. Take care. <laughs>